From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And the battle lines have now been drawn over how to raise the debt limit, which has to be done by summertime. Uh, President Biden, in his State of the Union address, said it has to be raised with no preconditions, no crisis, and Republicans are pushing for spending cuts before any debt limit gets increased. Both parties laid out their positions on that this week. We want to talk about that and the State of Appropriations Committees. Joining me to do that is Paul Krozak, Senior Budget Writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again for being here, Paul. Yeah, great to be here, David. And Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again, Aiden. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with the debt limit. It is the signature fight this year. And we did see, Paul, both sides lay out their their opening bids anyway in how this battle gets played out this week. And, And Biden couldn't be more firm here in saying we can't hold... The economy hostage. We have to have a clean debt limit increase. That means nothing attached to it. And Republicans aren't biting. They say over and over again they want spending cuts as part of this. Kevin McCarthy won the speakership in part by promising his conservative base that he would cut discretionary spending down to fiscal 2022 levels. That's about an 8% whack. Biden says he has no intention of playing that game, which was played out in the Obama years, and Democrats have regretted it ever since. Clearly, both sides are going to have to give a little. A little. Do we? Did we see any any shift in that, Paul? Is there, where do you see the openings here for how the two parties might come together? Well, the new House Budget Chairman Jody Arrington said that uh, you know he thinks that uh, he thinks President Biden will negotiate over the debt limit in some form. I mean, I think the way this will proceed is that there will be negotiations between the White House and and House Republicans um, over spending um, and deficits and the budget. And Republicans will characterize this as uh, talks over raising the debt limit, raising the debt limit being part of this. And Democrats will probably say, you know, that they'll continue to say the debt limit should be raised without conditions, but they'll say, you know, we also are interested in in a sustainable budget. And so we are, you know, we, we're talking with Republicans in good faith to see if we can reach an agreement. Yeah. And we will see, I mean, the president's budget is is scheduled to be released in early March, and he will propose stuff in there, we assume, that that would show deficits coming down more over the next 10 years. And he can point to that as part of his effort at, at uh, you know, fiscal rectitude here. Then we may be playing a bit of semantic game as to whether that is or is not linked to a debt limit increase. But Republicans will certainly push to have some promise of cuts in place before they could agree to that debt limit increase. And I also think we, Paul, we saw a way out of this, a way out of this trap that Republicans sort of set for themselves when they promised to bring spending down to twenty twenty two levels. 
you know, we saw a little momentum there this week because the House budget Republicans put out a list of some suggested spending cuts that could be made. And they added up to some big money over a trillion dollars, I think, over 10 years. And none of it really was cuts in base discretionary spending the way they had talked about. These were these were clawing back money uh, from unspent COVID aid programs, cracking down on improper payments, which is a longtime concern. You know, a lot of stuff that can add up to big money, but particularly on improper payments, it's very hard to actually to actually get that money back. Um, And so questionable whether that money could materialize an amount of the savings that they're trying to get. But we did see them start to move in that direction, which which would suggest less dire cuts in actual current programs, right? That's exactly right. The House Republicans' focus is starting to shift toward the idea of cutting unnecessary spending, wasteful spending, and so House Budget Chairman Arrington, you know, put out this list of various proposals that, you know, you just mentioned. And, you know, that list also includes, um, you know, stop spending on, you know, quote, unquote, woke programs, uh, you know, such as, um, you know, projects for uh, to promote a gender expansive yeah, but that, that's those are now those are the kind of symbolic cuts that play to the conservative base. But th- those don't actually add up to big money. I mean, those are not those are not significant savings. Even if whether you cut them or not, and whether they're meritorious or not, they just don't add up to big money. That's not where they're going to make up the. Uh, you know, if if you're serious about cutting money to to cut trillion dollar deficits, going after woke programs may sound nice, but that that's really just window dressing. Uh, that that's true. Um, the you know of those proposals that Arrington put out, I mean, you know, the biggest one which you mentioned would be um, rescinding the the pandemic aid, uh, which had been passed the past couple of years, enacted the past couple of years, um, rescinding that the rescinding the unspent money, specifically the money that has not been obligated for specific uh, programs. Right, and that could, if 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 they were satisfied with just doing things like that, that could get them to where they want to be. If that counts as a cut to discretionary spending, now I did speak with Chairman Arrington yesterday, and he did tell me that they, this is only considered a starting point. They plan to also propose more examples of cuts to actual discretionary programs. We'll see what they do, and obviously the details of that are up to the appropriators, not not his budget committee, but they may still try to cut more in the way of actual current discretionary programs than what they've already, what they've already outlined. And there, you know, Paul, the, 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 the dilemma for Republicans was they want to cut discretionary programs by about 8%, and yet they want to protect defense Right, which is about half of all the discretionary money. So, so that's a neat trick. How do you protect defense and still reach their goal of cutting so much discretionary spending? And we did see another sign of potential flexibility on that this week. You have the new top Republican chairman of the Defense Appropriations Subcommittee gave an interesting interview to Defense News, the trade publication where he opened the door to cuts in Pentagon spending and said it it wouldn't 
He wouldn't back cuts that affect military capabilities, but you can trim the defense civilian workforce through attrition and come up with over $100 billion, I think he said, in savings. He wasn't being specific. He wasn't putting a specific proposal on the table, but he was clearly suggesting that he is open to some cuts in defense, which could get them part of the way there to reaching their goal. Yeah, that's that's right. And other Republicans as well have said that uh, that Pentagon spending uh, should be on the table. Um, and there is even opposition among some House Republicans to the the current uh, emergency spending um, assisting uh, Ukraine. Um, and certainly, you know, there is there's waste in every government program, no doubt, um, including in defense. And so. I mean, for so there may be, yeah. So there may be an opening there because Kay Granger, the appropriations chairwoman, has 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 said she wouldn't back defense cuts, but maybe on things like what what Ken Calvert, the subcommittee chair, has outlined, maybe on things like that. If it's if it's trimming the civilian workforce through attrition, maybe she's open to things like that, and that would free up some money for them. So I don't know. We're starting to see some grounds for for flexibility now, I think, in how they go about these spending cuts. More to be determined much later. We won't know the details until these budgets come out, obviously. And of course, Biden was very deft, I thought, in in trying to turn the focus away. When When he talks about spending cuts, he pretty cleverly turned the focus away from discretionary programs and focused it on... Social Security and Medicare, and vowed to be the champion of Social Security and Medicare in his State of the Union address, and and said, "Look, folks, Republicans are trying to cut your Social Security and Medicare. I won't let it happen." All of that based on a plan by Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, who headed the Republican Senatorial Committee campaign committee last year, that called for for letting all federal programs automatically expire every five years unless Congress renews them. And Biden said, aha, that means they're trying to to kill off Social Security and Medicare. Scott has said that's not his intention, but it it played very well because it allowed it allowed Biden to champion the effort to protect Social Security and Medicare benefits and sort of take away their focus on trying to cut discretionary spending. It was I just thought it was some deaf political maneuvering there. Well, it was. And I mean, this is something that I mean, you know, Democrats um, are, you know, regularly looking for an opportunity to portray Republicans as wanting to um, cut Social Security and Medicare. Um, And, you know, few, if any, Republicans are actually saying they want to end those programs or, or even cut benefits for current retirees. But but it's a target for Democrats now. In his State of the Union speech, uh, President Biden did say that his budget will propose to extend the Medicare trust fund for two decades. Um, if nothing is done in a number of years, um, the Medicare trust fund will be depleted and there would be automatic cuts in benefits and the Social Security trust fund would be depleted. And under current law, there would be automatic cuts in benefits. So Biden said, you know, my budget is going to extend the Medicare trust fund for two decades. And he suggested that would be done by increasing taxes on the wealthy and on big corporations. So 
we will wait to uh, to see what his Medicare plan is. Yeah, that'll be interesting because I think Medi- the Medicare trust fund starts to go insolvent in 2028 right now, and Social Security goes insolvent by 2035. Um, so it's easy to push that problem down the road if they want. Um, they tend to want to reach a crisis point before they come up with a bipartisan compromise. So I, I wouldn't expect anything to get resolved on that during these next two years. Um, but Biden could put a plan on the table and that'll be interesting to see. We'll see where that goes. So I guess, where are we then, Paul? I mean, we're, we're going to see more cuts to discretionary spending get proposed on the Republican side. And I imagine Democrats will resist those. And then what? And then, and then <laughs> that's why this is going to take months to play out, right? Because, because if this, if they have, if they know they have till maybe June to come up with a debt limit deal, neither side wants to fold very quickly here. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to see, um, certainly the, you know, budget discussions and, and debt limit discussions will be continuing, um, throughout the, the rest of the winter and the spring and into the summer. Um, however long it takes, we're also going to see what I, you know, what, what will really be two unrealistic proposals. And, you know, the first one will be, you know, President Biden's budget proposal, which is likely to be filled with all kinds of spending increases and, and, and expanded programs, um, maybe new programs, which Republicans will reject. And then after that, they will see a House budget resolution, which is going to be, which is going to have deep, deep cuts in spending, which Democrats are going to automatically uh, reject. Because the House Republicans, they do want to show that they have a 10-year plan to bring the budget into balance, right? And so they, and they have said they're trying to meet this April 15 deadline under statute to produce a budget resolution for the coming fiscal year. So they're under the gun by mid-April. You know, Democrats keep saying, show us your plan. They're under the gun to produce that plan by mid-April and, and, and see if they have the votes to get it through the House chamber with some kind of plan to bring the budget into balance over 10 years. Right, right. Which is, a t- which is going to be a tall order. And it's good. They're, they're going to have to rely on a lot, of, a lot of cuts going into the future that Democrats would probably reject. Uh, and then you'll have these, as you say, these competing visions here between the Biden budget and the, the House Republican budget that, th- that they then have to come up with a compromise. It's going to take months of struggle to, uh, to reach anything, I think, in order to solve the debt limit problem, which, you know, n- both sides say they don't want to breach the debt limit and cause a financial crisis. So they've both been very clear that they intend to raise it. It's a question of how bloody, how ugly does this get before they find a way to actually raise it? Right. We, we shall see. We, we will, sh- w- w- you know, we will see to what extent they are able to, you know, reach an agreement really on the appropriations bills, Yeah, you know, which is where the rubber hits the road. And so speaking of that, Aiden, you know, all of the details of this will get worked out in the appropriations committees as to what exactly gets cut, if any. And you had a fascinating piece that folks should take a look at at CQ.com or RollCall.com this week, because it showed how you know the new we've got new leadership on top of both the Senate and the House Appropriations Committees. 
historic first. They're all women, and they've all pledged. They've done. They've done some media interviews to call attention to that fact in recent weeks, and they've vowed to work together and sort of tone down the political temperature to get spending bills moving. And yet at the same time, Aiden, the it does look as though the House Appropriations Committee is, in terms of its membership, is getting a lot more partisan, could get a lot more ugly. Yes, yes. So yeah, uh, we, I did a story this week on the House Freedom Caucus, the new members of the House Freedom Caucus on Appropriations. Um, as part of the speakership election, uh, McCarthy promised to add more ideological diversity uh, to the committee, um, and that turned into two of the holdouts against his speakership bid, Reps Andrew Clyde and Michael Cloud, uh, being appointed to the Appropriations Committee. Yeah, we should say these are the, the Freedom Caucus is the hard right faction of the House Republicans. Um, so, so these are two members from that from that right wing that are now sitting on the House Appropriations Committee, uh, Andrew Clyde of Georgia and Michael Cloud of Texas, right? Yeah, and they, uh, especially uh, Representative Clyde definitely brings a uh, different uh, style, I guess, than many many appropriators who tend to be kind of more moderate, uh, more focused on you know deal making and and you know getting appropriations bills and appropriations agreements passed. He. Uh, has in recent weeks been really uh, in the news for for passing out pins shaped like the AR-15s that that Democrats are really you know unhappy with uh, their you know the counterparts inside the aisle wearing in the chamber. Yeah, and that and that is a great anecdote you had, Aiden, because it does speak to the difference in style here. I mean, you know, appropriators have I think historically been seen as the more moderate members of both parties right, who get put on the Appropriations Committee because they're good at working together. And here you have a guy, uh, Andrew Clyde, who's who's wearing a pin of, a, of an AR-15 rifle, right, uh, and, and passing those around. I don't recall appropriators having done that before. It, it is a more colorful persona there that, and he means business, right? I mean, he, he, he really would like to slash spending. Yeah, both both uh, Representative Clyde and Cloud told me that they're really focused on ensuring that the conference sticks with the agreement that McCarthy made to them during the speakership election that they would write the bills at the fiscal twenty two top line, um, and that uh, obviously would mean very uh, sizable spending cuts. Um, and, you know it. it and if, especially if you don't touch defense, which is kind of an open question right now, it seems, you know, Republican appropriators do, do not want defense to be um, slashed. Um, many of them don't. Um, and I, neither do Clyde or Cloud, I think. I think the non-defense side is where they're really more focused. But if you're going to write bills at the uh, 2022 level uh, on non-defense without cutting defense, it's going to be an 18 percent cut, which is really going to be tough for some of the more moderate members of the conference to swallow. Yeah. And the and the appropriations chair, Kay Granger, was not eager to endorse the idea of cutting down to fiscal 22 levels. She had told me she wasn't necessarily <laughs> backing that. And and we know and we know she doesn't want to cut defense. So it's it seems pretty clear that that people like Clyde and Cloud on these Freedom Caucus guys are are really going to be a thorn in her side this year as they try to write these spending bills. 
yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these, uh, how the appropriators sit down to really kind of hash out the, uh, the bills as the appropriations process really gets, really gets rolling. Um, definitely different appetites, I think, among Republicans for the scale of cuts, because there are some moderate appropriators who do probably will not want to see significant spending cuts and, you know, appropriators in swing districts who will, who face different calculations. And meanwhile, yes, it is mid-February, but the Senate Appropriations Committee is still not quite organized, right? Yeah, we're still waiting for the official announcement of the subcommittee uh, chairs and ranking members. Uh, the list, both parties have finalized their lists, um, but they have not yet been officially announced. Uh, we learned this week that uh, there are some big moves, a lot of big moves on the Republican side, actually. Cindy Hyde-Smith is moving over to the Transportation HUD subcommittee, which is which is a big one. Bill Haggerty, Senator Haggerty, will fill her, her slot on financial services. And then Katie Britt, who's a freshman, is will be on uh, Homeland Security. And Deb Fisher from Nebraska will be taking over the legislative branch. So we, we, we know how it's going to shake out, but we're still waiting on official work from the committee. Just slow moving, uh, but 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 I, I guess pretty soon now, next week maybe? Yeah, I think there'll be an announcement, an announcement next week. Okay. So we will track that and all of the debt limit and spending cut fights, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, Aiden, and thanks, Paul. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>